Hello, this is Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today I'm talking with Trip Stallings. He is the Director of Policy Research at the Friday Institute, uh, which is at the College of Education at North Carolina State University. Trip, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, so I'm here today talking to you about data. Data is a big thing and just about every discussion you can think of when it comes to education. Uh, but not all data is created equal. So let me ask you first, when we're talking about data, what do you think of as data? How should people think about data? Well, let me back up a little bit and talk about how I think uh, we commonly think of data okay. right now. Um, we've had a, a significant uh, history in North Carolina and nationally of growing our uh, collection of data, largely quantitative data, though, to this point. Uh, and I would say this began, uh, well, probably as far back as the mid-60s with the Coleman Report, um, which came out of the U.S. Department of Education, but really took flight in the early 80s. Uh, and the data that we have collected have been, as I said, quantitative in nature and along the lines of uh, test scores, attendance, graduation rates, a whole host of things that, that provide a really nice um, um, description of one part of the education process but that's not the only type of data that we can collect or that we do collect or that we should collect uh, so much of education is not really quantifiable and a lot of the work that we do as researchers or evaluators or a lot of the work that we do as teachers or other educators is to collect a lot of the qualitative data as well and these would be things that are less measurable through numbers and more measurable through observation um, let me let me back up on that for a minute. So you're mentioning quantitative data. Uh, there's two different kind, kinds of data, quantitative and qualitative. Mm -hmm. um, can you just give a brief breakdown of the difference between the two? It, it's it's kind of interesting in education because uh, the definition of quantitative data in the abstract is really about numerical data. Like I said, test scores, uh, attendance rates, um, graduation rates, uh, changes in these numerical counts. But in education, especially in education research, we also have a, 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 a subset of what might be quasi-quantitative data. This is, comes in the form of surveys, especially if you think about it in this state. We do a survey every other year of every teacher in the state about working conditions. Uh, and that is both qualitative and quantitative, depending on which lens you use. And we use some of that data quantitatively in equations. So education in particular has a whole uh, pretty, pretty well-developed subset of quasi-quantitative data like that. On the qualitative side, if we think about education data, we might be thinking more in terms of, uh, for instance, teacher evaluations or even uh, student grades. Now, not school grades, which I know are a, a hot topic in North Carolina right now. Those are actually calculated with a formula. But a student's grade is as much uh, a teacher's perception of a student's, uh, of, of the quality of a student's work as it is actually measuring how many items that he or she may have gotten wrong on a test, for instance. Uh, so the qualitative data starts to touch on how we try to uh, evaluate those things that are not easily numerically defined. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the emphasis on data in a profession like uh, education versus some other professions like being a doctor, being an attorney. Can you talk a little bit about how data is is more prevalent in education than other fields? So I can only speak from my perspective on this because I don't work in those other fields, but my, my perspective is that we have, uh, my perception is that uh, we have worked so hard to try to quantify 
this uh, phenomenon called education, and we've created so many measures and so many different cuts at it that we've actually uh, surpassed the amount of hard data collection that might happen in a lot of the other professions. And, and the result of that has been, I think, a shift toward an expectation that it is possible to quantifiably uh, estimate the impact of, some a of every aspect of education. Whereas in other fields, we might be more uh, accepting of the notion that a, quali a qualitative assessment, so for instance, of uh, I mentioned to you earlier, so for instance, uh, of a, uh, whether or not a lawyer in a firm is going to be offered a partnership. There's some quantitative data that goes into that, but it's also a qualitative assessment. To the point that we may be uh, demanding even more uh, quantitative measures of education than we do in a lot of other professions, to the, uh, even beyond what education data can actually provide. So surely this wasn't always the case in education. What happened? No, it was almost never the case. Uh, I mentioned, for instance, uh, the Coleman Report in 1966. I think I have the, the date on that correctly. Uh, preceding that, uh, everyone knows, of course, about uh, Brown v. Board. We're in our 60, uh, 60th year Brown v. Board. The minute that we started to focus on inequities in education, we had uh, a historical need to identify what that inequity meant how to define that. And I think that's really the root of uh, the 60-year the evolution of collecting so much education data, is to try to continue to find ways to define in a way that uh, critics uh, or people on, either, on, on any side of an issue would, would, be, would have a hard time disagreeing with what we actually have in place for uh, these measures of inequity. And yet, we're at a point now where we have lots of data and critics on both sides of lots of issues disagree when looking at the data. That's because even though that might have been the motivation for collecting the data, uh, the the root assumption that those data are going to be able to accurately define that thing uh, is, I think, uh, false. And so is this a problem? Is there a way to use data in education in such a way that it is more helpful than it is than the way it is currently being used? You know, I think there's no abstract harm in collecting a lot of these data because uh, the data are as strong as the people who use them. So the question is really for me on the first part of this, are all of the things that we're collecting good collections of data? And that's, I think, one area for, for discussion and investigation. For instance, is it you, you hear it most, most frequently in discussions about how much testing happens in this state or nationally. How much testing is too much? When is the collection of data uh, worth the, uh, the educational uh, commitment of time, for instance, for students or stress. And somewhere there's probably some balance point. I'm not going to offer uh, an opinion about where that balance point is, but that's a good conversation to have on that end. Um, a second question, though, is about uh, what, whether or not we have uh, over-limited ourselves in the types of data we should be uh, looking at and collecting. And I'm not just talking about quantitative here. I'm talking about qualitative as well. Uh, a conversation I've had with some of my colleagues over the last couple of years is whether or not we have other quantitative measures that we should be pursuing. So I mentioned earlier that some of the top quant measures are test results, both in terms of achievement level and growth, and those are two different things, uh, uh, graduation rates, uh, 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 persistence in school. But are there other things that we should be counting or looking at that capture other parts of the entire education experience that we just traditionally have not done or historically haven't done that are still that are there for the taking. And are there and 
If so, what are they, or is that just an avenue to explore? Well, I'll try to give you an example. So this isn't exactly new, uh, a new measure, but it's, one, uh, it's an example of how we might start to think about expanding some of our current measures. Uh, my colleagues and I recently completed a study on differences in outcomes for students who pursued different approaches to credit recovery. And credit recovery is the, the new term for uh, m making up a, cl uh, a class that you failed. And uh, originally, the only option you had for that was to either attend summer school if your district uh, had a, a summer school option, or to repeat the course uh, the following year. But we now have, in addition to summer school and course repetition, which is also much easier now because of, of high school block scheduling, which allows you to make up a class the second semester that you failed the first and not get off track, a number of online credit recovery options and third-party credit recovery options. And so the questions that we asked as we took a look at these different approaches to credit recovery in North Carolina included, uh, how did the students who, under, who went through these different credit recovery pathways perform on tests afterwards, a standard measure? How did they uh, perform in terms of their on-time graduation? But then we also tried to look at some, uh, some uh, slightly more nuanced outcome data. For instance, uh, how likely were they to stay on track for graduation? How likely were they to take a more challenging course? Uh, how likely were they to perform well in the next course they took? Again, this isn't exactly new outcome data, but it's, it's a, an, an attempt to try to think more about what is it that we really precisely want to measure instead of just going to our go-to measures of test scores and graduation rates. So as a data guy, this may be kind of a weird question, but we're talking about how uh, other professions don't use data in quite the same way we do in education. Uh, should we be using this much data? I don't think there's anything wrong with the pursuit of finding better ways to understand the impact we're having on kids' lives. I do think there's some value in being more reflective about how valuable the data we collect and use are. Um, the, the second part of that is being uh, better stewards of that data. And so um, education, like any other uh, field, uh, experiences um, uh, a number of data uses that include um, using data in such a way that it paints the picture I want to paint. That's not exclusive to education. And what that requires of us as uh, consumers of those data and those reports uh, is to uh, be more critical and thoughtful about whether or not what we're hearing uh, actually makes sense or whether or not there's good evidence for those data use. I think the, uh, I've been doing this for a, a number of years now, and I think the overall uh, quality of the thoughtfulness about data use has increased tremendously uh, since uh, when I first started doing this work. So I think there's a lot of good movement there, but it's still a worthwhile question to ask. So you mentioned consumers of data, and data is often used in things like news reports or in arguments mm -hmm. that different organizations or people make about what should or should not be done in education. Um, you know, you can look at data and make certain assumptions about it because you understand data, whereas, you know, your average Joe who does not work in education has to look at this data mm -hmm. and understand it in a way to form an opinion. How can consumers who aren't experts in data uh, do better when looking at data informing opinions. I, I think that's on us, not on them. So one of the things I try to do whenever I talk to 
uh, the media about some of the reports that we've done is to really insist on inclusion of at least some contextualization for what I'm sharing with them. And I can't, you know, control uh, to 100% how uh, our findings, for instance, are shared publicly because there are, are constraints of time and space for media. But I always make a point to make sure that we have tried to provide as much context as possible. We're also exploring uh, new ways uh, of, of sharing data so that it is much more uh, uh, accessible to a wider audience. For instance, here at the Friday Institute and, and elsewhere, we are putting a, a good deal of thought and time into how we can uh, visualize data better. And I think that that is a, a, probably going to be the, the great equalizer for data analysis in terms of allowing more people into the conversation in a meaningful way because we're thinking about, just like we do in class, when we talk about teaching kids in a number of different ways so that we can help uh, all of those different learners come to the, to the uh, gain some kind of learning in the end, I think we need to do the same thing with the data that we report. And, and so you mentioned earlier, um, you know, the data that's used in the classroom versus the data that ends up making up something like a school performance grade. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like school performance grades that ends up getting passed along to the, their parent, to the parents of the students, and then they are supposed to, you know, have some sort of perception or make some sort of judgment call on their school based on that. How should parents understand the data that goes into something like school performance grades? So the school performance grade is new only in the in North Carolina is new only in the sense of the form it's taken over the last couple of years, since I think at least the mid '90s, with the beginning of the end of grade and end of course testing, we have provided uh, basically the same data that informed those grades, and it was a uh, it was data along two axes. It was data about the absolute performance, how well did kids do who took these tests, and also about growth, how much better did they do this year than last year. Both of those data points still inform the school grades. Uh, they're not as easy to see, I think, because they are summarized in the grade. Um, but for instance, something we did for Education NC on the Considerate Mapped uh, site included a way for, uh, again, back to using data visualization as a way to unpack some of these data, for parents and other stakeholders to understand what happens as the two components of those grades uh, are, um, are, are changed or, or modified, for instance. So th for the parent who wants to know more about uh, what that grade might mean. I think it does right now require a little bit of work on her or his part, and that's probably something that we should work on as a state, is to not only report on the grades, but also be much more open about where those grades come from. Now, if you go to the, the state site where those are posted, I think that information is there. The question then would be to think about whether or not it is accessible to a wide variety of stakeholders. And I'm not in a position to comment on that because it's not my area of expertise, so I don't spend a lot of time on, on that particular topic. But that would be the thing to ask. Not, not so much whether or not it's right to have a grading system like that, which I know is a policy debate, but whether or not we're providing the information for consumers of that data to understand what those grades mean. And so the General Assembly just finished up a special session uh, this week, the week that we're recording this interview. And um, education was a small part of it. There were lots of things that were discussed, but data is often used on the floor when legislators are discussing mm -hmm. topics, and there's lots of battle back and forth between the two different parties about what the data is and what the data means. Um, so do you think that data is helpful in forming ideas for legislation? I don't think that it is something that we should consider uh, <laughs> reducing or ignoring. So 
one answer or one response to concerns about the way data are used at the legislature or in other governmental organizations is to have less of it. I think that's not the right answer. I think that it's, again, on us as researchers and evaluators to continue to do the work we do to help educate our legislators and other stakeholders about the nuances behind the data they're using. And that's a lot of the work that I try to do. Um, so when you think of that, put yourself in the, in the, the role of a legislator for, for a little bit. Even though education uh, at, a, at about $11 billion a year is about half of our state budget, it's not the only thing that these, these people have to work on. They have to be uh, jack of all trades and experts in ecology and public safety and public health as well as education and, a number, and business and economics. We're asking a lot of them when we ask them to be more nuanced and to go more in-depth into the data that are available on educational loans. So knowing how many things they have to process, again, I think it falls on us to make sure that we do a lot, as much of that work for them instead of expecting them to sift through the different layers of how we got to these various numbers. And so we kind of live in the age of big data. Data is becoming more and more important in all sorts of topics in everybody's life. Um, where do you see the future of data going? What, how is data going to continue to be used? How is it going to be used differently? What kind of impact is it going to have on people's lives, particularly when it comes to education? Uh, I have more hopes than I have predictions. And again, I'll go back to my original hope that we will uh, be more uh, thoughtful about uh, exploring different types of outcomes uh, and learning more about, in particular for education, um, and we do a lot of this work here when we, when we work with, uh, with uh, different groups on evaluations, not so much just the longer-term outcome data, but how valuable and how much use can we get from the formative data. And this is data that helps us rethink how we're uh, enacting our various programs or initiatives. So if there's a five-year program and we want to know what happens to the kids after five years, that's what we typically look at. But throughout those five years, how are we collecting, analyzing, and reflecting back information about the implementation itself to help inform uh, the education process and not just informing the decision about was it good or bad? Well, Tripp, thank you so much for talking with us. Well, thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk about uh, the work we try to do here. And uh, we hope uh, that as folks continue to question the value of data that they will feel free uh, to ask those questions and push this on that and push us in our work to be more open and clear and transparent about the work we do and where our data come from and how we use them. All right. Well, thanks again. We've been talking with Tripp Stallings. He's the Director of Policy Research at the Friday Institute, which is part of the College of Education at North Carolina State University. I'm Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.